0: As we enter into this place this morning to talk about what it means to belong to God. That is the conversation that we will be having both this week and next week. As we talk about what it means to be loved and, and wanted by the creator of the universe that is my hope and my prayer for us today for those of you who are here in the room with us for those of you who are watching online that god will meet us in that place that he will remind us of his truth and he will shower us with his love and his grace in fact will you bow your heads just for a moment of prayer with me father god creator of the universe may it be so this morning May we have eyes to see, may we have ears to hear the truth of who you are and your great love for us as your precious children. Lord, be present here with us today, we pray. Amen. Well, as I was preparing for our time together this morning, as I was was preparing for this sermon, it's actually a two-week miniseries, this week and next week, on what it means to belong to God and what it means to belong to one another. And I quickly realized that it's a deeply theological conversation. It's an incredibly significant conversation to have, especially as we start to think about and orient our hearts towards Advent But I also quickly realized as I did my research and as I looked for content that belonging is an incredibly vast and widely researched topic in our world today. There are volumes, infinite volumes of books and articles written on what it means to belong. I learned that belonging in a very foundational sense at least in our social science world, is this overwhelming feeling of security and support. And we receive that overwhelming, overwhelming feeling when we have a sense of acceptance, when we have a sense of inclusion, when we have a sense of identity with a group of people, and then we, we experience that identity, and so we attach ourselves to that sense of belonging. Now, psychologists and neuroscientists alike say belonging goes far beyond simple participation in a group, simple uh, proximity to a group of people. It goes far beyond geographic place or a space in time, but instead belonging is a deep emotional need. It's a deep emotional need to be loved and to be wanted and to be accepted, and to be connected to something that is bigger and outside of ourselves. This need for belonging has been proven to be as hardwired and as inherent and as intrinsic in us as our need for air to breathe, as our need for food to sustain our bodies, as our need for water to our lips. Employees who find belonging in the workplace, they're more engaged. It makes sense, right? They're more motivated, they're more productive. Students who find belonging in a school setting, they get better grades, they have more positive attitudes, they have lower rates of anxiety and depression. And it's because research shows that we can't, we cannot physically thrive or flourish or even survive in this world if we don't experience what it means to belong. Now, I'm not a psychologist, I am not a neuroscientist, so that's about as far as I can take us when it comes to the science behind that, but I do wanna spend some time bringing my best theology. And I wanna ask you to spend your time bringing your best theology to bear as we talk about belonging to frame our conversation about what it means to be a people who belong not to this world, who belong not to this culture, but who first and foremost belong to a good and a holy and a loving God. Now, I imagine this morning that each and every one of us, whether here or online, we carry with us a different story of what it means to belong. Stories that had defined and shaped us throughout our lives, and for some of us, Maybe that's a really happy story. For some of us, we've had great families of origin. We've had great extended families who have loved us and accepted us for who we are unconditionally. We have had circles of relationships and friendships that have been encouraging, and they've been long-lasting and long-suffering through the thick and the thin of our lives. We have had jobs or vocations where our unique gifts and our callings, they have been called out in us. People have seen those in us, and they say, yes, use that more. And we've been able to do that in significant ways, and we find a sense of belonging there. For some of us, we found a sense of belonging in this church or in a different faith community. And so when we think of belonging— our, our response, our intrinsic response is to, filled, to be filled with gratitude and joy because we've experienced the goodness of what it means to belong. In the same breath, we recognize that for others of us, maybe belonging has been a very different story. It's been not one filled with gratitude and joy, but instead it's been marked by pain and loneliness and isolation. And so rather than being filled with a sense of belonging, we've been left with a sense of longing. We just ache to belong. We're like the kid on the sideline of gym class that when it's time to pick the kickball teams, we're just staring at our shoelaces and we're saying, oh, please, someone see me. Someone pick me. Someone love me. We've struggled to find our place in this world. And I want to acknowledge this morning that I would imagine that this room is filled with both kinds of those stories. That it's not either all good or it's all bad, but all of us have this mix of experience and what it means to belong that we bring in here with us today. So I want you to know and I want you to remember as we go through this topic this morning that you are not alone that other people in this room have experienced what you have experienced and have carried that burden with you. And so we're going to come back and we're going to remind ourselves together as the people of God of what we know to be true. One of the questions I want to pose to you this morning is this. If belonging is a deep emotional need, With which we were created, that was put in our soul before the foundation of time. And we believe that we were created by a good and holy God also before the foundation of time. Do we believe that our God would create us with a need that he and himself could not meet? You see, I think part of the problem that happens to us is we look for this place to belong. It's such a deep need that we look for a place to belong. And when, when our place of belonging, when that need is not met in the love and acceptance and security that's only found in the grace-filled story in the arms of a loving God who loved us so much, he gave up his life for us. When that's not the story we root our belonging in, I think one of two things can happen we can come to the conclusion that something is wrong with us. That we must be unlovable. That we must be unwantable. We must not be worthy of acceptance and love. What is wrong with us? Or the second thing that can happen, and maybe it's a mix of both of these things, is that we find a different story in which we can belong. And I don't know if you've noticed, but our culture today is not at a loss on ideas for how to swoop in and define our belonging, to fill those voids for us. And so, so often when we or our children or our spouses or our loved ones or our friends, when they experience a sense of belonging and their deep needs are met and there's a story that tells them they are one, wanted and loved, they reach out to it. We reach out to it, we grab onto it, because it is air for our lungs. And we attach ourselves to it with every fiber of our soul. But here's the problem. Here's my question for you this morning. What happens when we attach ourselves to the wrong story? What happens when we attach ourselves to a story that's not rooted in the internal, eternal, unchanging love of a holy God, but it shifts with the winds of our culture, and it shifts with the temporary satisfaction that we find in whatever circumstances we may be in? What happens when we define ourselves by a story that says we belong when we make a certain amount of money? or we live in the right school district, or the right suburb, or we have the right zip code? What happens when we define our belonging when we get into the right college, or our kids get into the right college, or they make the right sports teams, or they get the right test score? What happens when we define ourselves by a story that says we belong when we have the right color of skin? or we have the right ethnicity, or the right nationality, or we are the right gender, or we are the right age, or we have the right marital status. What happens when we define ourselves by a story that says we belong when we know the right people? when we have the right things, when we look a certain way, when enough people like our shiny Instagram post that paints a version of ourselves that looks pretty good on the outside but is actually withering away on the inside. Let's take it a step further because what happens when we define ourselves by those stories of belonging, when we attach ourselves to them because they tell us we are loved and we are wanted, What happens when those stories fall apart? What happens when we get fired from the job? Or we retire from the job? Or that job that meant so much to us, where everyone was puffing us up, we're no longer as important as we once were? What happens when the marriage ends? Or the boyfriend or the girlfriend dumps us? Or that marriage proposal, it just never comes. What happens when the friendships that have meant so much to us start to dissolve because we can't seem to agree on politics and vaccines and masks? What happens when our church family or our pastors, they just fail us? They're just not living up to our expectations, and they frustrate us. What happens when our kids not only don't make the team, but they don't make any team because they're just struggling to get out of bed each and every day? What happens when we hear over and over that our skin color doesn't matter? but we still find ourselves getting treated differently depending on what store we walk into or what neighborhood we drive through. What happens when the story we've attached ourselves to does not meet the deepest needs of our soul? Henry Nowen says it this way. He says, at issue here is the question, to whom do I belong? To God or to the world? Because many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more of the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry. A little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirit and a little success excites me. I love this line. I am like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. And friends, I don't know about you, but just reading that and getting that image in my mind reminds me that that's a pretty exhausting and unsustainable way to live. And I believe that the God of the universe has more for us. And so what is the story that we attach ourselves to that we allow to define our belonging? It's pretty easy, actually. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we see it. We see it from Genesis to Revelation. The Creator of the universe, the Holy God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, has been weaving together a story that is rooted not in what, not in how, but is rooted solely and deeply in who. And when we open the pages of the New Testament, we meet that who in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus begins his public ministry, pretty early on, he begins traveling from town to town. He travels from city to city. He travels to Jerusalem. He travels out in the countrysides, and we see he's teaching, and he's preaching, and he's healing people, and he's doing miracles, and he's calling people out, and he's calling people up, and he's calling people to a new way of life. He's calling them to belong to the story he has written for each and every one of them. And it's interesting because everywhere he goes, just the crowds are swarming to him. They can't get enough of him. People are in awe of him. They are amazed by him. They are confused by him. They are angered by him. But everywhere he goes, people are asking the same question. Who is this guy? Where did he come from? Why does he talk this way? Why does he act this way? Where does he get his authority from? But make no mistake, they want to be around him. And what's ironic about Jesus is that he was the antithesis of the world's definition of belonging. He didn't really know the right people. In fact, he chose to surround himself with people that society did not have much use for. The tax collectors, the women, the prostitutes, the poor. People on the margins of society who would never get, kicked, get picked for your kickball team. Never. He wasn't defined by his profession, at least not one society had much use for. He was a carpenter, but he left that trade behind to go preach and teach and be a prophet. His own family ended up turning against him. His brothers did not believe in him. In fact, they thought he was crazy. They thought he was out of his mind. Scripture tells us that he wasn't attractive to look at. He didn't really own anything to speak of. When he traveled, he was at the mercy of other people's hospitality. Scripture tells us he had no place to lay his head. And you add all of these things up, and it's interesting because few people, in spite of all of that, few people would question whether or not Jesus had a sense of belonging, whether or not he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was wanted and that he was loved by the God of the universe and created for a higher purpose than himself. And because Jesus was so secure in who he was, because he attached his identity and a sense of belonging to his father and heaven in whose he was and where he belonged in the story, it changed the way he saw the world around him. It defined the way he moved through his life the decisions he made about where and how he would invest his time, the courage and the boldness that he had that rose up within him to challenge institutional systems and to break cultural norms. And he did it without worrying about what other people thought about him. His deep sense of belonging gave him eyes to see the people in the world that the world said didn't belong. And he said, pull up a chair. You, my friend, you, you always have a seat at my table. Do you realize the lengths that Jesus went to to make sure that every single person he encountered knew they belonged? It's all over the pages of scripture. In fact, as I was preparing for this sermon this morning, I just started flipping through the gospels. Do you ever do that? Just flipping through the Gospels and kind of reading some of the subtitles and the headlines of some of the stories of Jesus and the way that he interacted with people. And it's so interesting that how when you look at Scripture, different things pop out at you depending on what you're looking for. And I saw this pattern that I've never really noticed before. In so many encounters that Jesus had with people, there are often two stories of belonging happening, both in the foreground and in the background. And the two stories are at odds with one another. One is the story we've been talking about this morning. It's the story that Jesus invites people into that says, I see you, and I know you. I see your sin. I know your weaknesses, I see all your annoying habits, I know your past, I know your present, I know your future, and guess what? I see all of those things and I still call you my child, I still invite you into my story because you are loved and you are wanted unconditionally, not only by me, but my Father in heaven, He gave up His life to make sure that you knew that. So that's one story that's trending, and at the other time, we see this story of belonging that the culture is, is trying to throw at these same people that Jesus is trying to call to himself, the lies of the culture that are whispering to them that say, Who, you? You think you're loved? You think you're wanted? You, oh, tax collector who is despised by society— You, oh, little children who run around and are nothing more than a nuisance to everybody around you. You, uninvited woman who shows up at the dinner party with all of the important guests and breaks a bottle of perfume and starts weeping at my feet. You? You, woman who was caught in adultery, who is standing naked before the crowd. You demon-possessed man who's living in the tombs and scaring everybody around him, you unclean leper, you unclean woman who have to stand on the other side of the street because no one will even come by you. You, oh Samaritan woman, you foreign woman that I shouldn't even be talking to who has had five husbands, you think you belong? You, oh little man of no stature that everyone despised, that couldn't even get to the front of the crowd, that had to climb a tree just to see him come by, you think you belong? And, you know, here's what we have to do, because even though those lies were being thrown at them from everywhere around them, being whispered in their ear, not only from the physical people who were with them, but the the father of all lies himself, Jesus is adamant. Listen to the words of belonging that Jesus speaks over his children. Matthew, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick, for I have come to call righte- not the righteous, but sinners. You, you disciples, you grumbling people, you you let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs such to these. You, a woman who anointed my feet, everyone else, you leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. You, a woman who's standing ready to be stoned, where are they? Does no one condemn you, my dear daughter? Then neither do I. You, oh mentally challenged man who was possessed by demon, you return home and tell how much God has done for you. You, O leper, I am willing to heal you. With just my words, I say, be clean. You, O woman with the issue of blood, daughter, I call you my daughter. call you my daughter. Your faith has healed you. It has made you well. You, O woman at the well, guess what? It's who you are and the way that you live out your life that counts before God. And you, Zacchaeus, Guess what? Today, I, the God of the universe, I'm going to be a guest in your home. Does anything about these comments of Jesus sound like they are speaking to people who are unwanted, who are unloved, who don't have a place of belonging in his story? I hope you're shaking your head no right now. You know, and what's interesting, if we go a step beyond that, God's story of belonging, it's not just for individuals. It's not just us and our little world between us and just God, but God calls his people. He calls us as a body of a believers to the story of belonging. If we fast forward just a few pages later, a few books in the New Testament, we see that Peter and in the letters of John, that God is writing a story not just for us individuals, but he's writing a story for us to belong to collectively. When the early church is struggling to find their place in their story When they're struggling with how to live and who to believe and and where to attach themselves, Peter says this to them. Guess what, church? Guess what? People of God, you are not like the world. You are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You're a holy nation. You are God's own possession because you belong to him. And as a result, you can show others it's the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's now who you are. Once you, had a, you didn't have an identity as a people, and now you're God's people. Once you received mercy, and now you have received the mercy of God. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, Keep away from the worldly desires. Keep away from the lies. Keep away from the false narratives that threaten to snatch your belonging because they wage war against your very souls. In other words, remember to whom you belong. John writes a similar letter to the early church as well. Listen to his words. But you, again, you Belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people, over the world, because the Spirit who lives in you, the Spirit of God, is greater than the Spirit that lives in the world. Those people, those people who are shouting those lies at you, they belong to the world. But my friends, you belong to God. We belong to God. And we belong to God not because of anything we've done, not because of anybody we know, not because of anybody, anything we have. We belong to God simply because we exist. I'm going to share a story this morning to close, and I have to tell you I tried very hard to knock this story out of this sermon I thought of it immediately when I started thinking of belonging, but I got to this point in my sermon, and I thought, it's going to be too long. Some of you probably are already thinking, it's too long, just move on. It's too long, I'm not really sure it fits, but God just kept bringing it back, and so I'm just going to trust that there is someone here today who needs to hear this story. When Eric and I first moved here to Chicago 16 years ago, we moved from a small town in Ohio. Uh, Eric got called to be a pastor on staff here, and we knew it was God's calling for our life. And so we packed up our minivan on December 22nd of 2005 with our two toddlers, who were at that time three and two years old, and we moved to the western suburbs of Chicago. And we did not know a single soul, not one single soul. And it was one of the most difficult and challenging things I've ever done in my life. And I will never forget specifically coming here on Sunday mornings. Now you would think at the time as a wife of a pastor that I would immediately find my belonging here, that I would meet my people and find my place. But I have to tell you, every Sunday morning I would come here, and this was before we had the auditorium, so we would all gather together just in this room. And then uh, for those of you who are newer, you may not know this, but we had donuts and coffee in the fellowship halls every Sunday morning. And so after we would worship here, we would head out this door, we would make a left down the hallway, and we would go hang out in the fellowship halls while kids run amok everywhere and had donuts and coffee. And I will never forget that every Sunday morning, Sunday after Sunday, I would stand in those fellowship halls, and I'd look around at everyone talking, at everyone smiling, at everyone laughing, and I distinctly remember feeling... Everyone belongs here but me. And I created this narrative in my head. It wasn't true, but it felt true to me. They all know each other. They all know each other's stories. They all invite each other over to each other's houses. They raise their kids together. Everyone belongs here but me. And on particularly hard mornings, I would actually go sit in Eric's office. I would go down there and hide in between services. I would lock the door and I would just cry because I felt so lonely and so disconnected. And not only did I feel like I didn't belong, but I started to believe the lie that I may never belong here. Well, at some point along the way, I got a little bit tired of living that way. I got tired of being isolated and lonely, and so I decided to muster up some courage and and call uh, this one woman who I had seen around. Her name was Nancy. And I had seen her around in a couple different places and I thought, well, okay, she looks kind of cool and she looks kind of nice. And you know what? Um, Maybe if I ask her, she'll be my friend. (laughs) And so I remember one day I called Nancy and literally the conversation went something like this. I called her and I said, hi, Um, I know you don't really know me that well. Um, I I know you don't really know anything about me or my family, but I've been watching you, kind of creepy. I've been watching you. (laughs) And I think if you just gave me a chance, that maybe we would be friends. And Nancy, in her grace and in her love, she saw me in that moment. And even though she didn't know me, she said, you know what, Um, okay, (laughs) why don't you come over? And so I went to her house and our kids played and she made a frozen pizza that she burnt to a crisp that we still laugh about to this day, but it began, 16 years of a beautiful friendship that has reminded me of who I am and my place in the story of God. And I I started to think about that story and I started to realize that that story is not really about whether Nancy chose to accept me, whether she took my phone call or invited me over to her house, but what it was really about was that at some point along the way, I had to choose which story I was going to attach myself to. I had to choose who I belonged to. I had to choose to believe the truth. That because the creator God created me, because he knit me together in my mother's womb and chose to love me before the foundation of the world, because he chose to step out of heaven and put on flesh and give up his very life on a cross to conquer sin and death and hell so that you and I would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are loved and that we are wanted. If I chose to believe that truth, if I chose to believe that that is my story of belonging, then I also had to choose that I, Sue Ann Canfield, was worthy of being loved. That I was worthy of being known. That I was worthy of being wanted in this community of people, and any community of people, not because of anything I had to offer, not because of anything I had, but simply because I was a beautiful child of the Most High King. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but my friends, so are you. And so how do we break free from the lies we tell ourselves? We examine the story that we're using to define our belonging. We identify the lies that we are most susceptible to about what makes us believe that we are wanted and we are loved, and then we replace those lies with the precious truth of God, and we relentlessly, unapologetically, ruthlessly, we attach ourselves to his story because it is the story to which each and every one of us belongs. May it be so for us today. Amen.